Hello, and welcome to the Doctors Washington Podcast. On this episode of The Focus, we will provide an update on the COVID pandemic. Everyone is likely sick of hearing about COVID-19, but it's clear at this point that COVID will be part of our reality for the foreseeable future. But how do we live alongside this virus? How has our world changed in light of the virus? As of today, there were a total of 516 million confirmed COVID cases worldwide, along with 6.2 million deaths. Although we were told this virus will go away in the summer, if you remember from our good old President Trump, it's clear that this virus is not going anywhere. Everyone knows about the COVID vaccines, but it's worth it to review the options that exist for Americans. First and foremost, we recommend that everyone receive the COVID vaccine. Every version of this vaccine has been found to decrease the risk of severe infection by the virus and deaths. None of the vaccines guarantee that you will not contract COVID, but research has shown that vaccinations will result in less severe disease. There are three major vaccine producers in the U.S., uh, Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson. Both the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are two-shot regimens, while the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is a one-shot regimen, although there have been recommendations for a booster dose. Um, Pfizer and Moderna have similar outcomes with upwards of 90% decreased risk of severe infection, and Johnson & Johnson has about a 70 to 80% decrease in the risk of severe infection. Largely, the COVID vaccine has had very mild to minimal side effects, and there have been no reported deaths from receiving the vaccine. I think that is an important point to make because early on in the pandemic, we heard a lot of people saying that people were dying from the vaccine, and that's simply not true. We also recommend that you receive the COVID boosters. At this point, everyone should have received at least one booster whether that be the third dose of the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines or a second dose of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Many have received four total doses. If you are immunocompromised for any reason, you qualify for boosters every six months to maintain protection against severe disease. So I know that kind of leads to the question, will we have to get periodic boosters forever against COVID-19? Um, it's a good question, and I think the jury is still out about that, but I don't think that uh, that's out of the realm of possibility. Um, the thing about periodic boosters against COVID, I think eventually what we're going to realize is that once you have a certain level of antibodies in your system, then you're probably as protected as you're going to get. I think we just don't know what that level is. Like right now we get titers on other things, um, other vaccinations. After we get other vaccinations, we'll get titers. But I think in the, in the future, we're going to know what that level is or what that threshold should be. At which point, you know, when you go into a new job or something like that and they do your TV skin test and they do, you know, your titers for for all the other things, it's going to add in a COVID one as well. And I think at that point, we'll we'll hopefully have an idea 
of how much immunity you need to show in order to be uh, protected against um, disease. And then in that way, those people may not need to continue getting boosters. Whereas those people who are immunocompromised, who just, you know, they're, they're mounting a, a temporary response. I mean, those folks will likely uh, not be able to avoid getting periodic boosters. And it really just helps them um, stay safe from getting a pretty severe virus as this thing continues to mutate and we get these different types of uh, strains. And then the people who, you know, have the appropriate level of antibodies can avoid getting additional boosters altogether. So I think we'll we'll get there. It's just that, you know, I think the hard thing about COVID-19 is that the non-medical, non-scientific community is watching us do science, okay? And it's just as frustrating for us as we've been doing this for years and years and years, testing theories and retesting and learning a little bit and taking two steps forward and one step back. Like we've been doing this as part of what we do all the time, but the remainder of the, of the, the larger community, the world, they don't really see this part. You know, they see a finished product, you know, but this is something that we've been doing for every other virus that we've had to make vaccines for. And it can be frustrating. And, um, but I, I do think that ultimately we likely won't need periodic boosters or COVID vaccine, COVID-19 will become similar to our flu where we're getting flu shots to people who are at highest risk every year. I think the next thing we should talk about is long COVID. So what we know is that long COVID is real and has lots of symptoms such as uh, ongoing fatigue, shortness of breath, difficulty breathing, chronic cough, joint pain, chest pain, memory, concentration, and sleep problems, muscle pains, headache. I mean, just a ton of different things. Um, I know a couple of people who had COVID early on in uh, early 2020, they still cannot smell or taste. Um, often individuals will have depression or anxiety. Sometimes they'll have ongoing fever and dizziness uh, when they stand up. You know, um, long COVID is really, in many instances, just as severe as um, the COVID infection. And these individuals may not have had severe COVID disease when they had their acute infection. And it's really amazing how many individuals are suffering from long COVID. I don't think we have um, good information related to the incidence or the frequency of long COVID amongst individuals who've had a symptomatic COVID infection. And then we don't really know how long these symptoms will last. I think another thing that's pretty interesting is that individuals may not have been symptomatic from COVID-19, but then they have these symptoms of long COVID and then they... um, they may have pretty um, severe symptoms of long COVID and be pretty sick from it. I know that is, um, I've known individuals to have that as well. So, you know, overall, I think the main goal will be to try to not get COVID. If you um, haven't had it, then uh, yay to you. I know a lot of people have been saying that they feel like everybody's going to get it. I personally have not um, tested positive for COVID and grateful for that. Don't want to um, ever test positive if I can help it. Um, so continuing to remain safe. 
I agree with that. I think that the symptoms of long COVID um, really are here to stay for quite a while. And I think this is something that we haven't even really addressed amongst the larger community and how these symptoms of long COVID have taken people who are at, you know, working age out of the workforce. Um, I don't even think we've really seen all of the effects of that. Everyone kind of talks about the great resignation and how so many people have left the workforce because of they're just resigning to do whatever they do in order to pay their bills. But I think there is, you know, there's a considerable number of people who, um, you know, have some symptoms of long COVID. And that's part of the reason why they won't re-enter the workforce, uh, possibly ever. And particularly since some of these people are significantly younger in age, I think that's going to have a major impact on our workforce and um, in, in a lot of aspects of our society as we move forward. And so having, you know, dealing with COVID, um, you know, if we had taken a, a very aggressive approach to COVID on the front end, really could have minimized some of these things as well as some of the infections and some of the deaths and therefore save some of the problems we may have in our workforce um, for um, in the in the coming years, and so it's definitely not something that we should just ignore or you know say that that happens to some people and you know just kind of brushing under the rug. Another element that I think we don't talk about nearly enough when it comes to long COVID is the effects that it's having on children. There's a lot of kids that got COVID, and a considerable number of them have developed long COVID symptoms. And now it's one thing to have those symptoms as an adult, and then you have to mentally tell yourself to push through because you got to go to work and you got to make money, you got to pay your bills. It's something else when you got these kids who are having trouble with severe fatigue, but they still got to learn and they still got to get through middle school and high school and all of that with these symptoms that are really, um, you know, they they really do. Um, kind of limit their ability to learn and to progress in their younger years. Similarly, you know, if they have respiratory problems, I mean, all of these symptoms that we talked about, um, you know, kids can have, and sometimes, you know, depending on how young they are, they don't really know how to, how to um, express those things. And so um, it's, it definitely is something that we have to pay a bit closer attention to in the medical community. And, you know, what things we need to do in order to um, to manage these symptoms or make them at least manageable for the, the person who's dealing with them. I think that was a great segue really into our discussion about treatment options for COVID. So if you're diagnosed with symptomatic COVID or are immunocompromised, you may qualify for treatment. One of the medications that's included on the list of treatments available for COVID uh, infections is remdesivir. So it's an antiviral drug exclusively given to hospitalized patients with moderate to severe disease. Um, typically in the hospital, they're also given high-dose steroids to help with inflammation as well. Um, for those who have less severe disease, oral medications uh, like Ritonavir or Paxlovid have been approved for treatment. Uh, those are also antiviral treatments um, and would be uh, obtained through your primary care provider. 
Um, you know, new research is being done out there on other treatments and things. Um, everybody remembers uh, monoclonal antibodies that are also used in the treatment of COVID-19 and have been shown to decrease the severity of disease, um, may be pretty limited um, in being able to obtain it just for from a production standpoint. But the hope is that that is ramp, being ramped up so that it's available for those that are uh, more sick and need uh, treatment on an outpatient basis to prevent uh, folks from getting hospitalized with this disease. Um, there is ongoing research about other agents uh, and things that can help us combat this virus. And I'm sure things will be rolling out in the months and years to come, but we just kind of have to wait to see what, you know, the science shows us and um, make sure that it's tested well before uh, we can roll it out to the public and treat uh, patients that are symptomatic with COVID. I think one of the things that we also have to talk about is just how treatment has changed over time in the pandemic. You know, initially we were only having, you know, symptomatic treatment. I think when we talk about remdesivir, um, really the studies have, have been relatively inconclusive about remdesivir. And a lot of major centers don't use it anymore to treat individuals uh, who are hospitalized with COVID-19. Um, also, when we talk about the um, Paxlovid, you know, that medication is, number one, kind of hard to come by. I know that uh, really at the time of this recording, the only, you know, it was only being distributed by particular pharmacies. And for a while, Walmart had the exclusive um, contract to uh, distribute it. And it wasn't widely available in a lot of communities uh, and it limited the use. And then there were a lot of uh, side effects to that medication. So it, you know, couldn't be used in individuals with renal failure, liver failure. So if you had chronic conditions, uh, that would make you extremely high risk for becoming severely ill from COVID, uh, sometimes that medication wouldn't be available to you because of your your comorbid conditions. Um, and then with monoclonal antibodies, I mean, of course, it was um, widely used um, initially uh, once developed, uh, particularly during the, the Delta wave surge for COVID and it was highly effective uh, for that. However, what they found was during the time for the Omicron surge, uh, those monoclonal antibodies were less, um, less effective in the treatment of um, COVID-19 that was caused specifically by Omicron. And they actually FDA actually took back the emergency use authorization uh, of that monoclonal uh, antibody treatment. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there's still ongoing research uh, for these medications and new medications that will be coming about. And so we just really have to kind of stay tuned for what's going on. I think overall, the main thing is if you're diagnosed with covid um, you should reach out to your healthcare provider to determine if you qualify for any um, treatment options um, at that time. Now it's crystal ball time. And this is always really hard because everyone, you know, always wants to know from the perspective of a physician or someone uh, 
in the scientific community, you know, what do we expect in the coming years as it relates to COVID-19? Um, what do we think will happen as far as um, treatments? What do we think it will happen as far as, you know, how much it will spread? Will there be other variants? And I felt like it was important to just take a little bit of time, you know, just to show you guys kind of where our thoughts were. And really, I think that it'll show you as well how variable our perspectives are um, when it comes to COVID and what we expect in the future. And a lot of this, obviously, is all predictions. Don't hold us to any of it. We're, you know, we don't know the future, but we're just looking at what we know from what we see of COVID in order to tell you what our thoughts are. So how about I have you go first, Dr. Jasmine? So I think that COVID in some form is going to likely be with us to stay. I think we've seen that, um, you know, COVID is pretty resilient and also has been mutating, um, you know, reasonably quickly to still be a nuisance in our everyday lives. So I don't think that it'll be something that'll ever go away for forever. You know, uh, the thing that everyone also thinks about is, you know, what about people getting severely ill or dying for COVID from COVID? You know, will that continue? Um, unfortunately, to some degree, it, it probably will. The hope is that we don't see the scores of people that uh, got severely ill and unfortunately passed away as we did early on when COVID first came on the scene, uh, because now more people have been exposed to the virus and or have been vaccinated against the virus. So the hope is that those things will de will decrease, but that's why we have to be, stay vigilant on researching um, new variants and, you know, making sure that the vaccines we do have um, are also effective against the uh, different variants as they come about. Um, so I think that this will end up leading to, you know, periodic waves of COVID uh, with time. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, the question of it uh, will, how will COVID change our lives? I think it's already changed our lives um, forever and how we think about, um, you know, how we think about our health. And uh, I think now this kind of forces the issue of, you know, population style um, medicine and healthcare as opposed to individual, um, individual means, because it, you know, I think it's very easy to, you know, be concerned about yourself and want to make sure that you're healthy. But I think it also begs the, um, it also raises your awareness of how you taking care of yourself can then also affect um, the other, the other people in your community and community spread of these, uh, these kinds of conditions. So I think in that way, it'll change our lives. Um, over over the long period over the long term um because we're we're a little bit more cognizant of how our individual decisions can then uh, affect the larger population what do you guys think yeah i agree overall with uh, what you said i do think that we'll have some level of covid that'll be circulating in our communities um for many many years to come 
I think eventually we'll get to an endemic state of COVID. Uh, I don't think we're at that point just yet, even though uh, individuals have been um, saying that. I think when we talk about uh, endemic, we would have to equate it to something like the flu. And I think that if we look at the number of individuals who died from COVID, even if we just isolate it to 2022, I think, you know, we're here in May. And uh, as of this point, um, we've still had more people die of COVID in the first five months in uh, 2022 than have died from, you know, our historic, you know, in the past, I would say uh, 50 to 60 years from uh, flu. So I don't think we're at uh, endemic state just yet. Will we have more uh, mutations or variants of the virus? I think absolutely. Um, I think that that people are being out and about more now. Uh, The virus is going to have an opportunity to spread and mutate. So I think we'll see that. I'm hopeful that what we do see will be less severe disease. Hopefully we won't have those very high numbers of hospitalizations and deaths from COVID, but I think it's just really too hard uh, to know. I think one thing that we can um, be sure of is that um, the population won't uh, really respond appropriately. Like once we start seeing those numbers go back up and the deaths going back up, we cannot depend on um, folks to just kind of automatically start back wearing their mask or being responsible and not going out and about. I think people are just outside and they're going to do what they want to do. Maybe I'm kind of jaded about it all, but I think that just seeing what we've seen over the past two and a half years, um, I think that's what we're going to see. I do think we'll probably end up getting... um, like maybe a COVID vaccine yearly, like we get the flu vaccine yearly, especially for those of us who are in healthcare. Um, I think I think they'll eventually get to a point where maybe they're rolling it all into one, uh, you know, COVID and flu vaccine all in one injection. Um, but yeah, that's that's my thought. Yeah, I think as far as. Uh, COVID deaths, I think that rate is still going to go up. It's just going to be as a, at a slower incline, um, like Dr. Latanya said, until we get to a point where it's more endemic, um, then that number will continue to rise. Hopefully, um, as far as additional waves of COVID, hopefully um, those will come less and less. But I do think that um, they will continue. We'll, we'll keep having periods where our COVID numbers significantly rise. We may, may, we may see that more in the winter than we do in the summer, but because most people will be inside in the, in the winter and not, you know, outside as much, but I still think that that will happen. Um, And then as far as our life changing, like Dr. Jasmine said, I think it already has, I'll say as a, as someone who works in healthcare, you know, I'll never walk into a hospital without a mask on again. And um, and that's I, that's probably the honest truth. Even if my hospital doesn't require it, the likelihood that I'll walk around my hospital without a mask is very low. Um, I do think that, you know, a lot of people won't take that perspective into consideration when they kind of go around and do their their normal stuff. But 
or maybe they will maybe this this fall maybe you know as you know as we're become we we're inside more and you know maybe when people get that first you know seasonal cold um and realize that they hadn't had one in a few years um then it may make them think well maybe I need to go back to doing what I was doing during covid I don't like being sick and so that may um, kind of prompt them to kind of do those sorts of things again. But I guess only time will tell on that. One of the things I, I always try to look for some sort of, not positive, but something gained um, despite all that we've lost. The thing that I would say um, hopefully we will gain is that the mRNA um, uh, vaccine, uh, that style of vaccine has really opened some doors for the way that we can use mRNA vaccines um, with other disease processes. And so there's one company in particular that's uh, soon to release a, a vaccine that works very well against malaria um, using that similar uh, technology. And so the idea that we could potentially cut malaria, even, you know, in, in the 80 to 90% range, people die like crazy from malaria every year. And so that, that alone is worth it. And they're also looking at, um, they're also looking at the way that, um, using that same virus, um, antiviral vaccine type technology in the treatment of cancers. And so, that as well can could potentially spring us forward in a way that we it may have taken us a decade or two to get that movement in um, scientific advancement in these disease processes. So all of those things put together, you know, obviously just, you know, whenever you go through something tough, it's, you know, I, I'm always looking for, you know, what what could be gained in this? And even, even if you lost a ton and it may not equal out and it may not be worth it in your mind, but you know, what was gained? And I think that's one of the things that could potentially be gained um, in this. So that wraps it up for this episode. So thank you guys for tuning in for this episode of the Doctors Washington podcast. This will end our second season and we look forward to you joining us after the summer for more content. Please like, share, and repost us on your favorite streaming platform. Until next time. The music on the Doctors Washington podcast is by artist Mike Burton. He's a Jackson, Mississippi native. On his album, Soulful, and the track is entitled All Right. It is available on iTunes. I believe that it's going-